this thing called life. In all honesty, it should, bring, it should be something that brings us to our knees in worship much more often than it does. Let's pause for a moment and consider who creates the first spark of life? Who kick-started that gentle but adamant heartbeat in the secret places of a mother's womb? Who fills a baby's lungs with strength and breath at that first gasp and squawk of life? Who draws those intricate fingerprints or crafts those delicate little fingernails? Who fills the bones of the dancer with rhythm or the voice of the singer with song or the builder with creative solutions? Who conceived the idea of laughter or a tear to express sorrow? Who decides this one will be thoughtful and contemplative and that one will fill the room with noise and laughter? Who has created life in all its immense diversity, its incredible beauty, its profound depth, its vivid brightness? Our God, our God, you are the creator of life. You are the genius beyond every one of those moments. Our God is a life giving God. You know, I honestly suspect that some of the hardest places to be an atheist is next to the birthing bed of your child or next to the deathbed of a loved one. You know, those big issues where the power and significance of life are on such vivid display in those moments seem to time and again bring us so naturally to just a small breath away from the sense of an immense God, an incredible creator being in the room with us. There's that verse that says we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that story is written on our lives, on huge moments and small moments of our lives, in the most explicit ways, in the ultimate sense. We know life starts with God. It's an epic gift from him. If only we have the eyes to see. He is our creator God. But around this topic of life, there's a little bit of a different flavor that's introduced in the New Testament. We read that one of the main reasons that Jesus came to earth was not just to give us life in the generic sense. That's a God-given gift to everyone. But it's different in the New Testament. Here we hear that he has come in order that we may live a particular kind of life. A life that is described as overflowing or even abundant. And that might sound like very flowery language to you, but, but that's the gift, that's the kind of life that God wants to lead you to. Listen to John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That refers to Satan or any of his minions. The thief comes to steal, 
and to kill and destroy, but Jesus says, but I have come that they, and you are the recipient of his gaze when he says that, they may have life and have it to the full. And I wonder how many of us would honestly be able to describe our lives in line with that kind of description. You know, as incredible as it might seem, as almost unbelievable some, that has been God's underlying desire for your life right from the beginning. Are we clear on this? Jesus came that our lives may be better, that they may be fuller, that they may be more significant, that they may be more beautiful, more expansive, more abundant and overflowing than what we could ever discover on our own steam or by our own inspiration or our own wisdom. His presence on earth, when he walked here on earth, was utterly committed to bringing us the beautiful things of life. Listen to just some of his words, some of the, the gifts that he left with us having been with us. Matthew 11 verse 28 says, Come to me, Jesus says, All you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. John 8 verse 12, Whoever follows me will have the light of life. John 13 verse 16, 3 verse 16, God so loved the world, He longs to sense, leave us with a sense of His love for us. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. John 14 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. John 17 verse 13. I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they speaking again of us may have the full measure of my joy within them. The full measure. The full measure of my joy. Christ has come, folk. Easter has happened. This weekend has been celebrated consecutively for 2,000 years. Christ came not just to bring us life, but to bring us each one of us, life in all its abundance. So how do we get there? I mean, it's a great question, isn't it? One of the greatest questions that we probably, many of us, spend a lifetime trying to answer. How, how do we discover that kind of life, that quality life that Jesus wants to take us to? I mean, in, in a world of 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 tragically flooding heavens, you know, of absolutely insane dictators, of angry looters, intimidating bullies, demanding bosses, disappointing bank accounts, a jobless market, and so the list could depressingly go on and on, on, on and on. I mean, do we even dare to believe that a full life can be found? It's an honest question. Is there something in you that says, yes, I can find it and it's within my grasp. Bet you there are some people here today, if they were honest, they would say, uh, I don't believe it. You know, I choose to turn to the Bible, to Scripture, whenever I think about the biggest, most befuddling moments or, or questions of life. You know, in some senses, I think Scripture is kind of like a spell check. It will prompt us towards the right solution. But it's completely at our own discretion whether or not we pay that prompt any attention whatsoever. Here's what our Bible passage for today says in the light of that mega question, how do we find life? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 26. Here's the passage. 
And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Folk, this Easter, I want us to be open to the challenge that we are called to pick up our own crosses. This is not a traditional Easter Sunday service, at least sermon, because of that theme. Christ has died for us. He was raised from the dead. That's what we always celebrate. That's the great story of Easter, the great themes of Easter. Because he picked up his cross, we can know life. But today, this Easter has a little bit of a different flavor. We've been reminded, and I believe God has led us to this, we've been reminded that we also are called to pick up our cross as the most life-giving action that we will ever know. So let's look more closely at that passage of Scripture, one passage, one verse at a time. Starts off verse 24, says that, that Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Okay? Interesting thing about that verse is a little bit of a play of words happening there. Essentially, we could rephrase that verse without changing too much by saying this. Then Jesus said to his followers, check how many times he uses that word. Jesus says to his followers, another word for disciples, if someone wants to follow me, then do these two things, deny yourself, pick up the cross, and then in fact, you will be following me. All right, that's a lot of stuff about following Jesus in that passage, all crammed into one sentence. Why does he do this? Why does Jesus spend so much effort refining and explaining and defining this issue of following him? Well, all of us have met a bunch of followers of Jesus. And as we sit here today, we're surrounded by them right now. In fact, we're part of that crowd, and all of us would point at a whole list of things to say, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but it is critical to notice the two criteria that Jesus uses here to describe someone that is truly his follower. Two steps are mentioned. It says, number one, deny yourself. Number two, pick up your cross. That's the formula in its bare, cold, bald simplicity. Deny yourself, pick up your cross. You know, I wish I could imprint this, this formula into all of our lives and minds and hearts and life story in some magical way. I wish I could just go, you know, there it is. It's central to who we are. But it's in that combination of those two short phrases that life as it was meant to be experienced can be found. Okay? In the way that those two little commands, deny yourself, pick up your cross, in the way that those two commands are permitted or invited to interrogate and mold or form your life decisions, to that extent you will experience life as it can be lived. 
Or to put it simply, in the tension that those two verses start to create in your life. Life starts there. Let's chew on those two things, one bite at a time. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. I think most of us understand the idea of denying ourselves. It is wisdom across this world. Everyone knows you've got to deny yourself. It's not easy, but at least we understand the idea. If we've ever tried to lose some weight, you know, if you've ever tried to train for an event, if you've ever tried to get a qualification or reached for a higher goal, all of us know that self-denial is part and parcel of that process. We'll never get to the next level unless we're able to say, no to ourselves. Okay? Unless you're able to say, no, uh-uh. Rich, not this time. It's always a difficult thing, especially for people like me that are incredibly impulsive in you know, the demands of our appetites. Um, but in a world that keeps on telling us that we deserve to treat ourselves, you deserve to treat ourselves, you know, yourself, we deserve more comfort, we deserve a next level of security. We deserve another chocolate, another holiday. We deserve more pay. In that kind of a world, the idea that we can be defined by our ability to deny ourselves, it's almost heretical. Something in us is not a chance. That's for somebody else. So deny yourself, first step, but it's the next step that separates us from the crowd. If self-denial is the taster, you know, the hors d'oeuvre of what it means to be a follower of Christ, here's what the main meal looks like. It says, pick up your cross. Pick up your cross. Now, as Deb said, in a few moments, I'm going to invite you to come to the front to receive a cross. Pick it up and take it with you. It will be, I think, a symbolic act that if done properly will be full of meaning and significance. Very similar to what's going to happen here in the baptismal pool later. Okay, A symbolic act full of meaning and significance. But here's the question. What's the idea behind this action of picking up my cross? All right, Jesus invited me to do it. invited you to do it. Hopefully you're going to come do it in a couple of moments' time. But what am I actually being called to do? When Jesus says, pick up your cross. What's at the heart of that action? I mean, it must mean something more than simply denying ourselves. Maybe it's a development of that thought. Well, let's look at the one person we know that has done this action well. Learn from him, who has picked up and carried his cross well. And obviously that person is Jesus. Tell me, when do you think Jesus picked up his cross? Okay, obvious answer, John 19, verse 17. Jesus carried his cross to the place of the skull. It was the horrible tradition to get the one condemned to death to actually carry his instrument of death through the streets of Jerusalem to Golgotha. And people would throw things and shout things and spit on them and just absolutely abuse them and shame these criminals in any way they could. Okay, there was a tradition. But truthfully, I honestly think that that moment of Jesus picking up his cross happened significantly before then. Come with me in your imagination to the Garden of Gethsemane instead. 
This is where Jesus went before his friends betrayed him, before the soldiers arrested him, before he was put on that unstoppable path towards the actual physical cross. And there, in the quietness of that garden, we see Jesus in an immense battle with himself. Central to that battle is the question, do I pursue this calling that my Father has placed on me or called me to, to be a life bringer, or do I simply preserve my own life? Do I choose the cross, or, or do I, I choose the safer, more palatable option that I'll find somewhere? You know, Do I choose my Father's will, my Heavenly Father's will, or do I find another more reasonable, less soul-searching way forward? Do I choose to sacrifice, or do I choose to bring life? Do I choose submission and trust in my Father, or do I choose control and a sense of safety that I can try find, albeit false? And when he had thrashed through this immense soul battle of his, having literally sweated blood in the process, when he finally whispered that prayer, a prayer that came, I think, from the deepest part of his being, where he, where he muttered, I don't know if he said it with, with like a, a sense of conclusion or just like whispered it, where he said, not my will to his father, not my will, not my will. But yours be done. At that point, I believe he effectively picked up the cross that he was called to carry. And you and I, as hopefully followers of Jesus, are drawn into a similar moment. Tell me, follower of Jesus, are you prepared to pick up your cross, a cross that your heavenly Father will craft for you? Are you prepared to have as your Central life mission, a major life mission, a mega life mission, the willingness to be a life bringer in whatever way, shape, or form that takes, that, that, that the Father leads you to, the willingness to be a life bringer just like Jesus did. You know, you can take any little cameo of Jesus' life, any little chapter, and see it happening there all the time. Even while on the cross, he's a bringer of life. He brings life to the thief that's next to him. He brings life to the soldier watching him. He brings life to his mom and friend who are standing near him. Ultimately, we know the full story. He brings life to every corner of this world of ours, every generation that he's lived. He has brought life. And are you willing to pay a price like Jesus did and commit to bringing life like Jesus did? That is what it means to pick up your cross. I'm willing to have that calling land in my soul, whatever the cost. means to commit to bring a God-type life to all of those around us. You know, in a world that is desperately needing people like this. In a world that longs for people that bring a breath of fresh air to their soul. A world that is looking for people that haven't allowed the horizons of their life to basically shrink to a comfortable zone that includes just me and those that make me feel good. 
Are you, are you ready to pick up your cross and allow that calling to lead you into the future? I'm not going to touch on them too deeply, but the next two verses, I can't leave them out. The next two verses that follow that verse, this is what the, verse 25 says. For whoever wishes to save his life, you know, to take their life in control, I'll dictate it, I'll lead it, I'll make decisions about it. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, in other words, saying, yes, Lord, yes, Father. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Look, there is a price to pay when we choose to be life bringers. Okay, there's no easy way to do this, for Jesus had led him to pick up a literal cross. For you, it may mean to take a cut in your salary, I don't know, step bravely into strangers' life to help or love them. But the prayer that Jesus uttered effectively said, whatever the cost, I'm willing to pay that price, even to the extent of my life, if that is what my heavenly Father asks of me. And that's what makes it such a soul-searching prayer. Lord, whatever you call me to, in the name of bringing a God-flavored life to this world, whatever you call me to. Next verse, verse 26, for it says, for, for what will it profit a man? And I think the logic here, for me, when I was a 17-year-old, this verse gave me my career effectively. The logic just blew my mind. In this moment, I said, I don't want to spend my life doing anything else. This was, for me, interpreted in terms of my career. But the logic here, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will man give in exchange for his soul? I saw a video a couple of days ago, um, which also has this kind of you know sledgehammer logic to it. Uh, why don't you just watch the screen and it'll say, speak for itself? It's a little bit rough on the edges this video, let but me, I'm let sure you'll manage. This question. Mm -hmm. If I just gave you both a million cash, how would you feel? I'll be uh, extremely grateful. Pumped up. Pumped excited? up. Excited. Because I know what I, I know what I know what to do with it, so I will be extremely happy. <laughs> would anybody be able to get you in a bad mood for a little while? Absolutely not. Okay, Deanna, would you agree? I would agree 100%. <laughs> I've okay. been on cloud now, nine. Okay, now pay it on cloud nine, right? <laughs> yep. now, now, now listen, because this is big. If I had a bomb button, I'd press it. <laughs> you ready? Yep. Mm -hmm. If I said I'll give you the million, matter of fact, I made it 10 million. Okay, uh oh. <laughs> but you couldn't wake up tomorrow. You're uh, done. Would you it, take it? Absolutely not. Okay, so what you're both saying is that waking up, just waking up tomorrow is worth more than $10 million. Mm, that's how it was perspective. And I, that, yep, it is. Yeah. It is well, worth it. Then why ain't you feeling that way every damn time you wake up? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Dang, no, no, but that's a hell of a perspective. I, I, I never looked at it that way. As I say, a little bit, a little bit rough around there. Just sorry about that. But sometimes, you know, that kind of irrefutable logic—I call it sledgehammer logic—is needed to use kind of knock us between the eyes and for us to say, "Absolutely, yeah, take the ten million. I want to wake up tomorrow." Now, long for the same to be happening when we listen to that verse. Sledgehammer lo logic. What does it matter if you gain? 
everything. Everything. And, I, and I'm going to ask you to allow all of your life to rush into that word, everything. What does it matter if you gain everything but your soul is compromised? What does it matter but your soul is compromised? Effectively, life as it was meant to be is taken away from you forever because that's what a compromised soul looks like. So let's get practical. Today, this Easter, we invite you to intentionally, in the heart of your heart, to pick up your cross, to acknowledge the calling that the Father has on your life. The resurrection the big story of Easter Sunday, the offer of life, the full Easter story hinges on whether or not people are willing to deny themselves and pick up their cross. The continued story of Jesus picking up his cross and bringing resurrection life to this world will be revisited when you, in the quietness of your mind and in your heart, grapple with the idea of picking up your cross or not. You know, in a small way, we saw it again this last week. People sacrificing their own comfort and safety, the warmth of their own bed to serve other people again in the midst of this flood. You know, and you get a taste of life emerging from the wreckage of the flood. I don't know what your cross will look like, the cross that God is calling you to pick up. Okay? I don't know what it will look like. We know that not even Jesus decided what his would look like. He simply received the cross that his father placed in his head. And that's why when you come up here later, if you do choose, if God prompts you to choose to come up here, no, no pressure. But that's why you'll receive a cross when you come. You won't be choosing one yourself. We used to say there may or may not be significance of what your cross looks like. You know, it might be flowery, it might be wooden, it might be plastic. I don't know. There may or may not be significance. I'll leave that to a conversation with you and Jesus. Um, there's so many different kinds, but the invite remains. Please, pick up your cross. If it helps you to do so, if it gives having something tangible in your hand helps you to, to, to hammer home the moment, please come up and, and receive a cross. Or do it there where you're sitting up, or sitting, but whatever it is, pick up your cross. Remember this, there may be a price to pay, but laugh. Here's the logic we must try to wrap our soul around. Life in all its abundance starts when we bend and stoop to pick up a cross that God has in mind for us. Life starts here. Starts or firstly for me. And then because I picked up the cross, it spills over into my, my neighbor's life. And then to the end of the world, life, life starts in this moment. Life starts with this action. Do this action well. And you will experience what I believe it is to be a follower of Jesus. So God bless you. As you decide between picking up a cross and everything that that may imply. And the call to be a life bringer for your soul and this world that desperately needs salvation. Let's pray together. Lord, on Easter Sunday, on the Easter weekend,
we do celebrate the work that you have done. That you have died and that you were raised are miracles. That you came, died, and were raised from the dead are, are the mega moments of, any, of our faith. But those moments spill into our lives. As expressed by your words to ask us to pick up our cross, may we in turn, Lord, may we in turn do that job well. Lord, lead us to the cross. Lead us to the calling to be a life bringer. To be the one that is, that is responding to you, Heavenly Father. May, may that prayer, Lord Jesus, that you prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, may we, may we settle with that prayer at the center of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.